Welcome to episode 153 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we're back this week with some more static shock. We got a uh, trouble squared, the return of everyone's least favorite villains. Most forgotten story arc that I didn't realize was an arc. Yeah, I had no idea this was actually a relevant episode. Turns out mostly not, uh, but amusing nonetheless. And then we have uh, Toys in the Hood, an appearance <clears throat> of uh, one of our favorite Superman villains, Toy Man. And of course, he brings along with him Superman. Yes. So, uh, no, some fun stuff to get into. And then, of course, we'll do uh, you know notes from friends and bat plugs per usual. But first, let's get into a little bit of news. Well, and, Chris, uh, Chris if, I can, if I can interrupt you really quick. Yes. Uh, right at the top of this episode. I know we just went over the entire schedule of how this episode's going to go. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a fun fact I want to throw out right at the beginning based on our conversation of last week. Okay. Uh, and I learned about quicksand. <laughs> you, I mean, what, what did you learn about quicksand? Uh, it, it was part of a show that I was watching. They did like a deep dive into the history of quicksand and cinema. Funny enough, okay. exactly what we were talking about. Did you know in the 60s, quicksand was so popular, one in 35 films involved quicksand? At, at, to what point? And uh, what year through, was that statistic? Uh, through the six, decade of the 60s. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. Uh, and uh, in real life, there are quicksand enthusiasts with message boards dedicated to finding and experiencing quicksands themselves. And guess what they call themselves? Quickies? Uh, sinkers. Sinkers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, and it is not, as, as movies and TV shows show, it is not the act of sinking into the quicksand that kills you. It is the water rising from the sand that kind of will drown you before you would kind of sink to your death. Oh, okay, so you'll drown before you asphyxiate? Yes. Wow, what a horrible way to die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, I, <laughs> I had to share that right at the top because I didn't know where no. I was going to shoehorn that in anywhere else. I, I, I'm so glad you did I mean, to be perfectly honest, part of me is tempted to just stop the episode here. I really don't think we can get any better than learning the true impact of quicksand. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. For anyone that was that was scratching their head after last week of like, I really want to know a little bit more. Not much, but like two sentences more about the history of quicksand. Uh, I'm totally going to have to go do a deep dive on sinkers yeah. after this. Yeah, I mean, we, we can go join a message board. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some sect in in California. It's uh, some R slash sinkers. Yes, out there. All right. Well, I mean, clearly nothing else we talked about today is going to be anywhere near as important as that. Uh, Not but at all. we actually we do have some like actual proper entertainment news uh, this week to get into a little bit. Um, so one is the announcement we're getting a new uh, direct to um, I guess we'll call it streaming slash. Uh, digital slash dvd um animated movie batman's soul of the dragon yes uh so this looks like it's going to be an elseworlds story uh, which makes sense considering that the uh, the quote-unquote new 52 verse movies uh ended with um justice league dark uh, apocalypse war which i actually have yet to watch but i've heard very good things so it's on my list um but this movie sounds kind of cool so the idea is that um the uh, the martial arts master that trained bruce many years ago uh is missing and so he teams up with uh, other pupils of the same master, including Bronze Tiger, Bronze Tiger, Lady Shiva, and Richard Dragon to uh, discover what happened. And this sounds like a, a pretty cool idea for a Batman story. It's a little more niche. Um, it'd be, it's probably going to be you know, set out of Gotham. Uh, I'm excited about this. Could be something fun. 
Yeah. Do you think uh, this was like the original idea for <clears throat> for Iron Fist before Netflix was like, no, we're going to go with our own way? And they just flipped it and sold it to, to DC instead? I mean, this does sound much better than Iron Fist, to be perfectly honest. Yes. But then again, a lot is better than Iron Fist. Did you actually watch Iron Fist? I watched the first season. I watched all the first season. Oh, too. bless you. I, I stopped watching the Netflix Marvel shows after the defenders and the I same. never watched either season of the Punisher. And so that means that at this point, I guess I missed out on both seasons of the Punisher daredevil season three, Jessica Jones season two and iron fist season two. And then do we, was there a Luke Cage season? Two? I don't, I don't think, think so. So, so I guess I, I guess I more or less missed out on half of it, but I was just kind of like, mm, I get it. And these are all running too long. Yeah. We, so we finished our storyline. Yeah, and I was just like, uh, nah. And I've I've heard uh, Daredevil season three is actually pretty good, but I've also heard it's on a cliffhanger that will never get resolved, and I I hate that. I really really hate that. So I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna skip it entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I'm I'm excited for this movie. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Day of the Dragon, and uh, no, excuse me, that's the Bruce Lee movie, uh, Day of the <laughs> Samurai, and Night of the Ninja from BTOS, which yes. were okay okay episodes, maybe good ideas, not ex great execution. So. I don't know this could be cool. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for any kind of kung fu film, except for the one that we watched last week. Oh, Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, I feel like maybe we need to give it a second shot. I think we do. And if anyone, because we mentioned this when we were watching it, that it felt like we we started like 30 minutes into the movie. If anyone has like, because it's it's a highly well regarded film. Yeah. That we just didn't click with, and if anyone would know why. Please tell us, because I want to like that movie. I love Stephen Cho. Yeah. Shaolin I, Soccer is fantastic. And I've heard that. Now, you've mentioned that. I know other people love Shaolin Soccer. So, yeah, I guess. Um, and then there's I one where he's a chef that has been I, on my list for a while. Okay, I don't know about that one. But, uh, yeah, if you guys have seen Kung Fu Hustle and it, it landed for you, please let us know, because it didn't for us. And I feel like maybe we, we, we clearly missed something rather critical. Yeah. Um, but actually, uh, kind of along the lines of talking about... Uh, um, this Batman movie, you know, I mentioned Richard Dragon as uh, one of the characters, and it sort of like segues into uh, a little bit of sad news, which is that this last week we uh, lost the great comic book writer Denny O'Neill, um, who was instrumental in um, revamping DC Comics, but Batman in particular in the the '80s. And um, you know, I kind of looked up some of like the the key things that he um, worked on, um, but he was uh, you know instrumental in writing the. Uh, a pretty famous run of like Green Lantern, Green Arrow that actually like, mm -hmm. you know, went to some like, you know, kind of like political social spaces that other comics hadn't before. But I think he's probably most famous, of course, for creating Ra's al Ghul, Talia al Ghul, Richard Dragon, the aforementioned, um, plus Leslie Tompkins and Azriel. Oh, wow. He's also like instrumental in revamping uh, the Joker in Two-Face. Um, and, you know, he wrote episodes of Batman the Animated Series. I think off the top of my head, I think he's the credited writer on the Demon's Quest, if I recall. Um, I'd have to double check that. But I mean, hugely influential on, you know, I'd say all of modern comics. Like, I, I you know, I think you talk about um, Stan Lee and I, and I think in the same sentence, Daniel Neal is someone that's worth mentioning as a, a hugely influential creator. And I guess he actually started out working for Stan Lee yeah. and did a lot of stuff for, for Marvel as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that Batman would not be Batman today with, without his influence. Oh, did um, he do the, the Speedy as a Drug Addict story arc? Oh, he did. That's right. Yeah. I think he did that one, too. He did really, really incredible things. I've actually had for years on my, my bookshelf a, a comic that he wrote about 
writing comic books. Uh, it's one of those things like, oh, I should really read that at some point. Um, clearly, I'm going to have to go read it now. So oh, he, he wrote the uh, Superman vs. Ali story. Oh, he did. That's right. That's a classic. Yeah, I mean, he and Neil Adams were like a, a, a partnership <clears throat> that like defined DC for is it the better part of a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Really, and uh, you know, I think he's another one of those like Neil Adams. His styling of Batman is one like you you know you see a picture of Batman, you can tell immediately if it was a Neil Adams. And I think for the most part, if it was a Neil Adams drawing, it meant that it was uh, Denny O'Neill who wrote it. So I don't know, but uh, definitely someone who will be missed. Um, and then uh, you had some some DC Universe updates for us, I think, right? I did. Uh, so we have a bit of sad news. I don't know if anyone. Uh, who has DC Universe actually uses this feature, but they have something called DC Daily, which is mm-hmm. kind of a daily talk show where they kind of bring in hosts and guests and kind of talk about the state of the DC Universe. Uh, kind of like what we do, but better and with uh, Daily. And, and way more professional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with like a real set and editors and yeah. on video. Uh, yeah, and but, actual access to like good DC stuff and like real guests. Yeah, but we can say fuck those guys because they <laughs> are canceled and we're still here. Aww uh yeah it was a very sad day they uh dc announced they are dropping dc daily uh which is scary for me because i feel like this is kind of the beginning of the end uh for dc universe i know there's a lot of shit going on with hbo max right now and oh my I god i think what might be going on is is the two as we predicted a while ago are, are going to kind of fold into each other yeah. in one way or another uh for video content, I think that makes sense. But I think what you you have found is one of the great things about DC Universe is it's the comic library. Uh, yeah, I mean that comic library is library. I almost said I did say library. Library. Mm-hmm. There's an R in there, folks. There's two. Li- there's two. <laughs> Actually, you asked your right camera. There, in fact, two R's in library. <laughs> But like their 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 back catalog to save me any further embarrassment um is incredible it's absolutely incredible i mean um you know i i did a month of marvel unlimited to catch up on some some titles um but you know dc universe essentially offers more or less the exact same thing for all kinds of dc books i mean i i caught up on uh grayson um, i've been catching up on some probably quinn like it's it's really really unparalleled in terms of you know comic book access and for considering that you get that along with all of the the shows and movies to stream i mean i I know we keep saying it but like dc universe if this is the sort of stuff you love legitimately is one of the best streaming platforms out there and well worth the the price and uh, i hate to say it but i think you're right i think this is like the beginning of that particular feature getting absorbed and ultimately dissolved Mm -hmm. uh and then connected to that I, i just googled it to to double check uh, we got a great trailer for Doom Patrol season two. Yes, I, you reminded me that I just watched it uh, in prep for this. It looks really fun. It looks great. I mean, I I will stand by. I haven't watched all of Harley Quinn, but I will stand by that. I think Doom Patrol is the best original show from DC Universe so far. Just because no, it's I, so it's so weird. No, I and I think that's totally fair. Like I, I think I bias slightly towards Harley Quinn, but I think. In, definitely in terms of their live action output it's it's the best and um it is it's weird it's fun it's funny it's irreverent it has now one of my all-time favorite comic book characters of course uh danny the um was it the, the gender neutral yeah danny the street yeah danny the street the gender neutral anthropomorphic street i that's just a, it's such a weird delightful quirky absurd character uh, um 
but but attached to the trailer, um, all the advertising says it's only on not only all the advertising connects it to HBO Max. Yeah, which is another big hit. I did just Google it. It will also be going up on DC Universe. Okay. Um, now, now a relevant question on that: Will it be going up on HBO Max or will it be going up on HBO? Because I'm sure you saw this this week that they announced a total rebranding of all their products, and I still don't understand what's going on. I uh, I understand why <clears throat> they're sticking with the HBO name. It's a safe brand. It's it's on par with like I would say Pixar of just steady good content. Yeah. And they have a couple falls that people just don't like to talk about. Good Dino and Cars 2. There's that. Um, Slash the last season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And so, on, you know, attaching everything to that name makes sense. But, you know, one flaw is HBO is an adult-friendly channel. And so yes. you're kind of losing the kid market. Like, I don't think... I haven't seen any advertising for the Elmo show. And I don't think no, parents would even know shame. that there's kid originals on this app yeah i don't think most people know now that hbo is funding sesame street because yeah. like it was too expensive for pbs tragically to continue doing it and so hbo is paying for it and like that's awesome that they continue to do that uh yeah but yeah i mean with the hbo name you you kind of forget about the entire warner back catalog all of the turner back catalog yeah it it is a little bit bizarre that they wouldn't just the, even from the beginning they didn't try and brand this as just like something Warner Brothers specific, and and I, it's hard to tell if for the like let's call it like the the normal consumer the, those who aren't as absorbed in the entertainment industry as you or I imagine a lot of our listeners are that maybe to them HBO carries more brand recognition than Warner Brothers like you maybe don't know like what Warner Brothers owns in terms of IP. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I, I think the strongest thing maybe about HBO Max, because their original content isn't maybe stellar yet, is all that back catalog stuff. And that's all Warner Brothers. None of that's HBO specific. Right. Um, but so what we're referring to is that I, as far as I can tell now, so if and a Ashley Clark, uh, one of our favorite listeners, thank you for writing in and, and confirm this for me. But basically, if you had an HBO Now account, you now have HBO Max, but I don't think you necessarily have access to the full hbo max suite i'm not quite certain on that but uh. the 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 rebranding that's happening is that the hbo go app which used to be the uh the digital app to sign into your like cable-based hbo subscription correct it's called hbo go that is going away i think that is now going to be called hbo max and hbo max is now going to be referred to as just hbo I that's think dumb that's, that's fucking dumb i think Look, look, uh, I read this article, I shit you not, twice yesterday, and then I immediately went to go tell my brother about it to try and explain it to him, and I still am not 100% certain I got that right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the moral of the story is, at the end of the day, uh, just get DC Universe. <laughs> just yeah, get just, DC just, just make, get it until you can. Make a new acronym, because that doesn't make sense for HBO anymore, because HBO is home box office. It is yeah, meant for that. movies. And now you have all these shows, which are great, but... <laughs> don't fit under the acronym anymore but i guess you can say the same thing with mtv um, yeah no that's fair yeah it's, there's no longer music on mtv so uh yeah they're they're just and then there's the whole other fiasco i don't know how much you've seen into this um but hbo max is still not on apple tv or roku uh oh yeah i guess that's a thing too uh and i saw and this is another thing of kind of people not not really understanding how deep the industry is 
a lot of people are like blaming AT&T on this, not realizing that AT&T owns all of this. Yep. yep Warner, all Warner HBO, Crunchyroll, me. <laughs> Turner. Are, yeah, are yes, you that personally own you, Cameron. <laughs> uh, are all owned by AT&T. And so people being like, I can't believe AT&T wouldn't let them do this. I'm like, no, they're owned by them. They wouldn't want to hurt their own yeah, you know, somehow, franchise. Somehow they haven't worked out contracts with themselves. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. I, I have a lot of bad conversations with other, you know, cousin companies. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I they really, really dropped the ball on this. And kind of like the more information that comes out, the more you realize like, oh, they were not prepared. No. And, you know, in, in this time when it is the ultimate time to, ju- you know what? I don't know if it is anymore because we, we continue to say that this is the best time to launch a streaming service. We are 0 for 2 in the streaming <laughs> services that have come out during quarantine. Hey, but that's because you and I haven't personally yet launched the Charlie's Theron streaming platform. That's right. Yeah. Ga- that, and that is a guaranteed success right there. It is. Uh, all, all we have to do is get the exclusive uh, streaming rights to Mad Max Fury Road and we're good to go. Yeah, that's all we need. Just one movie. <laughs> no problem. So that should be easy enough to do, right? Yeah. You and I can work out really complex <laughs> streaming legal agreements. Yeah, we can figure it out. Yeah, I've, I've read a contract before. We'll be fine. <laughs> So you wrote a red. Red. Okay, red yeah. One. yeah. I did terribly on the LSAT. I could figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we do have Doom Patrol season two. It looks great. It does. Uh, it looks everyone really go fun. watch the trailer. It's like a last girl's finally learning how to use her powers. And that's because mm-hmm. I think she was probably the weakest part of season one. I, I think she was actually one of my favorite characters. I just think that she I, I don't know if I'd even say she was underutilized. I think where she was utilized, she was utilized really well. I just don't think she got the same amount of like screen time or focus as maybe some of the other characters. But uh, I, 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 think, I don't think she got the character development that everyone else got. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think I think when she's on screen, she's usually like one of the best characters because she's so like fun and snarky and yeah, uh, she's she's great. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping there's a little bit more uh, Elastigirl focus because I love her so much. Mm-hmm, same. Oh, and then, so that for one last little bit of news. Because uh, we love to talk about the movie theater potentially opening again, and I just kind of claw at the at the glass door that that is the Grove Theater. Uh, we got some news about more kind of things getting moved around and pushed around. Uh, so before Tenet was supposed to be the grand pillar to reopen theaters for us, yes. uh, it is now being pushed back to the thirty first, right? Thirtieth, thirty first, thirty first, I believe. Yeah, the last week of July. Yes. Uh, which now means Mulan, Disney's Mulan will be the the new grand pillar for theaters opening. Which I'm conflicted very much because well, you're not excited at all about Mulan. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm excited. I I I'm curious. I don't want to say excited. I'm very curious about it. But it's more just like the whole situation. Everything is opening up right now. We got an announcement that Disneyland is opening up on July 17th, which makes sense because that is the 65th anniversary. Yeah. Um, um, I'm sure that's an opportunity they don't want to pass up. Uh, I, I have thoughts, but maybe I'll save them. I, so. I was I was joking that I want to go because I'm sure there's going to be some like exclusive for first yep. day back and it's going to be like a 65th anniversary face mask. Exactly. It's going to be a, you can get an exclusive one day only Mickey Mouse with a face covering. Yeah um 
Yeah, like that. So, so saying more on the positive, Mulan is now set for July 24th. At the moment, we'll see if that sticks because yeah. they, they basically now have a month to get advertising uh, revved up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be then and then followed by 10 at the next week. Uh, and then Wonder Woman was announced. It is getting pushed back again. Uh, it is now October 2nd. Yep. Um, and where it stands at the moment, right snap dab in the middle of those two, is New Mutants is still set for August 28th. I'm going to give you a week-by-week update on when New Mutants will be coming out. Because I think this is the closest we've come to like a date in front of us. I think so, yeah. I, I think this is the most definitive piece of information in regards to its actual release we've gotten in a while. Um, but, you know, like anything else involving New Mutants, it's just a matter of time. Yes. <laughs> Until it changes. I, I mean, look, I, I think this is a good idea to kind of push these movies a little bit for a number of reasons. You know, one is I want them to do well. You know, um, I you know, Christopher Nolan is one of the last remaining filmmakers that still gets to put out like, you know, huge blockbuster, big budget original movies. And, you know, we want those to succeed. So it's good to see um, that getting pushed. So hopefully that means that it, you know, actually gets, you know, uh, a good return to the box office. You know, Wonder Woman movie, very excited for um, probably the most promising movie currently in the DC slate. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a good idea for that to push as well. Um, again, for the same reason, we want that movie to do well. We want people to be able and be comfortable to go see it in a theater and hopefully by then um, it will be. So, um, you know, and maybe this also means that uh, people won't be going to the theater for a little while longer, which is also probably a good thing. I'm sorry to say, Cameron, but it's probably a good thing. No, it is. And that's why I'm so torn because I shouldn't go and no one should go. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's it's the same thing with Disneyland too. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, it's just kind of decided now that things are uh, reopened, whether they should be or not. And uh, we'll we'll see what comes out of that, unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, so kind of taking a, a slight shift out of um, entertainment here towards kind of a, a slightly broader, more important news, no offense to entertainment. Um, you know, listeners will know the last few weeks we've, you know, talked about what's what's happening in the world right now because it is really critical. And uh, we're going to do that again one more time here. Um, and if you will allow me a few minutes to, to talk about some important stuff, I would appreciate it. But, you know, I will remind people, I do keep time codes down the bottom. So if you really want to skip this, I guess you can. Um, but, you know, I specifically want to talk about uh, the news about what's going on in terms of the transgender community right now, something that's you know very um, important to me. I want to start by talking about uh, the importance of allies, actually. Um, that a lot of what we're seeing right now in terms of both Black Lives Matter and also in terms of support for the trans community is about finding allies and how critical that is. And, you know, like um, the thing that I can equate it to on a personal note, it's like when I think about when I came out, if I didn't have straight allies, I would have had no support. At that time, I had one gay friend from college who continues to be a really good friend. Hi, on. I don't think you listen, but if you do, <laughs> love you. Um, and, you know, if if I didn't have other if I didn't have straight people to come out to who were um supportive of me, you know, including my friends, including my my family, that whole process would have been a lot harder. And at the end of the day, like anytime I see someone straight kind of um, you know, help advocate for the queer community or I get messages saying like happy pride from one of my straight friends, it means a lot to me. 
um, you know, I remember listening to uh, this great podcast, uh, Script Notes, and when I first discovered that one of the hosts of it, uh, the writer John August, was gay, I got excited just because like that's the thing that happens. You get excited whenever you see <laughs> any sort of reputation somewhere, and uh, anytime I hear you know, uh, a piece of entertainment, uh, including podcasts, you know, advocate for something important to my heart, I appreciate it. And so I want to make sure that, you know, we are doing that on our part. And for any, you know, particular trans uh, listeners we have, just know that we we love you and we support you and we're here for you. Um, you know, and if you ever want to talk, feel free to reach out to me directly um, on Instagram or Twitter to do so, especially Instagram. But like allies are incredibly important. So we're here, here to be allies. And I think for those who kind of get annoyed when more entertainment lighthearted stuff like this takes a, a political focus. I just want to point out that uh, I don't see this as being a political thing. I don't think um, equality and striving for equality is inherently political. I think um, politics becomes necessary when policy and uh, practice policy exists that limits the equality of others. And we have been kind of tricked into thinking that it's acceptable to have a quote unquote political stance to stand against any sort of uh, equality. And that's a lot of what's happening right now. And so I don't see this conversation as being political. And I, I, I hope that maybe, maybe changes people's perspective. I think whenever someone says like, Oh, forgive me for saying something political or, Oh, I don't want to talk about politics. They're basically saying like, Oh, forgive me for pointing out like uh, systemic inequality and the fact that it makes you uncomfortable. And um, you know, I'm, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about these sort of things. So uh, I do want to talk about a uh, an edict that came out this week, basically saying that the uh, Department of Health and Human Services is going to uh, essentially significantly hamper the uh, medical rights of the transgender community. So you'll see a lot of articles being like, you know, Trump administration rolls back protections on the trans community. Um, I want to do a little bit of research on this, and I will link uh, the NPR article that I read in the bat plug section below. But essentially what it means is that that department of the government is um, narrowing a definition of sexual discrimination to basically mean just discrimination for uh, men or women, just male or female. Um, and it does not protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. And that definition had been broadened by the Obama administration to specifically protect the LGBT community, in particular the trans community. So to... Um, Renarrow that definition. Essentially, what that means is that um, access to critical health services now becomes a much trickier deal, um, especially for anyone who's trans. So, basically, that means that they now can be discriminated against. Um, it means that at this current time, when we're literally dealing with a global pandemic, um, it puts a lot of people at risk beyond what they would normally be at risk for. It means that people who are in the middle of transitioning and the, the critical medical practice that's necessary for that are, are now at risk of um, that transition being compromised. And it's really scary and it's it's an absolutely horrible thing to do. And it's worth acknowledging when this was announced. This, so as of recording, this was announced uh, yesterday, June 12th, um, right in the middle of Pride Month, um, also on the anniversary of the pulse shooting in Orlando. And it's really hard to look at that timing and not read into it. Um, a sort of parallel case that I, I find is related is at one point, it's subsequently been postponed, but at one point Trump was planning on having a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on June 19th, aka Juneteenth. Um, and that is critical for two reasons. For those of you who don't know, again, I'll put the, the links down in the show notes, but um, I'll do a, a brief summary here. So uh, Juneteenth, 
celebrates June 19th, 1865, uh, which is essentially when Union forces arrived in Texas to tell all enslaved people they were now free. That was a full two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, which essentially had no real effect um, on a lot of the slaves down in the South. So essentially, Juneteenth celebrates the true ending of slavery and is a really important part of what's called American history, not just black history, but American history that's often ignored. Um, and then, of course, people may remember from the very beginning of the new HBO Watchmen series, a great series, uh, that opened with the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre um, in Greenwood, Dis the Greenwood District in Tulsa, aka the uh, Black Wall Street, which most people consider the single worst incident of uh, racial violence in this country. And so to choose to have a political rally that often has a lot of association with white supremacy and discrimination on that date at that point, it can't help but feel like a deliberate choice. And so if you look at the the rollback of transgender medical rights um, during Pride Month on that anniversary, if you look at this rally happening on that date at that place, you know, I guess at the best, you can assume that maybe this was just done by someone who was ignorant. Um, but it's either ignorance or apathy. They knew the critical elements of those date and places and chose to ignore it, or it was a deliberate attack on already disenfranchised and minimized communities. And that's just fucking horrible. Um, and it, it really upset me, both of those things. Um, and I, again, always advocate for education, which is why I'm bringing this up here. Whatever little platform we have, I think it's important to try and say something where we can to try and, again, um, be allies for people and know that we're, we're listening and we're learning and trying to help project that knowledge and, and that love and support out there. So um, just wanted to share those things. And, uh, you know, thank you for listening to this part of it. We will now get back to the more lighter uh, fun fair. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if you want to have someone to talk to you about this stuff, if you feel like you don't have people around you, you can talk to um, a, a genuine, genuine statement, please reach out to us on, uh, Instagram, we are at Tim Talk Pod, um, or you can reach out to me directly at Lordifer, and I'm here to talk. So, anyways, uh, yes, thank you for said. that. Beautifully said. <laughs> um, but with that said, uh, should we get into what we're here to talk about, Cameron? Static Shock? Yes, we're here All to right. talk about quicksand. <laughs> we're here to talk about so much quicksand. So, did you know that some animals actually use quicksand as a defense mechanism? Wait, how the hell does that work? Uh, so, octopi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I was not expecting the next word out of your mouth to be octopi. Yep. But you have my attention. Octopi, when they're hiding from predators, what they'll do is they'll kind of uh puff themselves up and push air down into the sand to kind of uh -huh. create temporary quicksand and hide themselves in there in kind of that pocket yeah. uh, to as as a as a way to hide. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm actually generally okay with switching this entire podcast to just talking about quicksand. <laughs> we may have had our next spinoff. Forget yes. Titans talk. It's sinking squared. Yes, I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, but yeah, so for, for Static Shock this week, we're talking uh, the episode Trouble Squared, <clears throat> which is uh, another clear holdover from uh, season two that they released during season three. We're, we're back to the, the old intro, the old animation style, the old costume, no gear. Um, and this picks up a... No Frida. Don't forget, no Frida. No, that's true, no Frida. No just Frida Daisy. in season two. Um, this picks up a 
more or less kind of a, a abandoned plot thread up to this point. Um, I would say two abandoned plot threads. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. So it focuses once again on uh, Edwin Alva, uh, the guy who I would say what manufactured the the Bang Baby gas yes. that created all the Bang Babies. Um, he had an episode about his son. We made reference to it last week where the son basically built himself a, a, a bubble suit that he would pop and like breathe in the gas and take on powers temporarily. Um, and then also picks up a thread with a, a couple villains. It's probably some of the worst oh, ones God, in the whole series. Yeah. Uh, Specs and Trapper. The only good thing about them is that they're voiced by uh, Michael Rosenbaum and Patton Oswalt. Yes. Amazing voice cast. <laughs> Who do great jobs, uh, and of, uh, of course, a little near and dear to my heart, these characters are absolutely a reference to Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd from the gayest of all James Bond films, Diamonds Are Forever. I, I connect them to the Kids Next Door villains, which are also a play on your villains. This is true. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Wink and Mr. Fib, <laughs> who are just two old guys that live together and never leave their couch. I I love, I love that that a dynamic has become like a trope almost in its own right like that has become something that can be homaged yes two monotone men yeah well because like you know james bond has a lot of cultural like roots and you know we see references to it's like odd job and jaws are kind of like the classic definitions of um you know like villainous henchmen and blofeld sort of becomes this like this trope of what a, a supervillain looks like but of all things mr wint and mr kid who are uh, most of the time actually fairly ineffectual henchmen uh it just brings which, me which endless bond joy. are they from diamonds are forever okay don't, yes. don't say it like i should know that i literally just said it though oh i wasn't paying attention <laughs> i was still thinking about kids next door fair enough i know how hard it is to pull you away from thoughts of kid next door i know man it's so, so good that'll be our third spinoff podcast great i'm already i'm i'm very down for that one yeah, you're gonna start prep work on it already. Um, Been but no, prepping so, for twenty years, man. <laughs> but so it's his return of of all of these things. But um, you know, basically the 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 story here is that uh, Dakota High does a career day at Alva Industries. Um, Virgil and Richie see that Specs and Trapper are back working with Alva, um, and uh, Virgil goes back to investigate and ultimately discovers that he's trying to. Um, essentially save resurrect his son who is now like uh encased in stone basically as uh, an accident caused by his use of the the bang baby gas and he's kind of made all hands on deck including specs and trapper but they're not really pulling their weight and he gets in their face and then they decide to i guess more or less like show him how capable they are by building these absolutely ridiculous tech suits and with so, the worst names what what is it it's oh uh spectral and uh trapper not tra not trapper keeper is a trapper keeper it's, it's <laughs> honestly if they called it trapper keeper it would have been a trap. better name speed, speed trap speed, and spectral trap. and i'm like these guys Look, are supposed to be geniuses it, they build the most ridiculous suits and most ridiculous powers that are so loosely defined so i guess uh specs aka spectral uh, has like a blast shield that also has built in like laser emitters and he can as he puts it uh he has all the colors of the rainbow but kind of can... i mean do you do you watch the most recent season of young justice right yeah it, it reminds me of of uh uh the girl halo halo yeah oh actually yeah that makes sense it is kind of like that like yeah but, but worse in every possible way, worse. way but worse without any sort of like depth or subtext or explanation because he he has just like generic laser beams so they're like 
they're concussive they're electric at times he has like freeze vision yeah i mean each color is a different power yeah it's just sort of like a catch-all of whatever powers he needs to have in the moment and then um trapper aka speed trap has two gauntlets trapper one keeper. of which the tra- <laughs> that's right of trapper keeper one of which speeds things up and one of which slows them down an idea that at its core is actually kind of interesting yeah um, but not not well utilized here at all so they basically go out to get revenge on um, Alva and Static has to like step in to ultimately basically help Alva. Well, first they they go to try and kidnap Static to show how oh, good they right. are. And yeah. then Alva fires them and kind of like buys their lease off of them from the sounds of it. Yeah. So I they're guess, stuck I guess on they were, the street. That I seems a were, bit far. They were living in the the warehouse, I guess, like the facility, and now he took it away from them. Maybe it's it was a like a, maybe it was like a whole campus thing. Like it's like I don't, oh, yeah, I don't that... think Google has like apartments on campus. <laughs> hey, we don't know. Uh, yeah, not that I know of. Uh, but yeah, it might be like kind of a glorified college campus situation. Yeah, where it's, so they they oh, it's, like, it's like the bungalows. That that's a better example. It's like the old Hollywood bungalows. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the the bar, the bungalow yes. in Santa Monica. <laughs> I've never been to Bungalow. I've I've it's, only it's heard a, negative things. It's a cool bar, but it's just filled with uh like Santa Monica douchebags. Yeah. I, I hear it's like the worst of Pepperdine drives down and the worst of Venice drives up. Yeah, exactly. It's like the combination of like uh yeah college douchebags and Silicon Beach douchebags in one bar. Great. Yeah. Go during an off time, it's kinda cool. Okay. Yeah, don't go any other time ever. Because it's it's that bar that like everyone hates on, but at the same time, like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to Bungalow. Yeah, it's oh, I, hate, like I hate it Wayne's. there, but it's cool. But it's cool. It's like it's fun. Okay, yeah, yeah. I fucking hate it there, but you know, I'm gonna drop another hundred fifty dollars and black out. Yeah, but anyways, that tangent aside. Yeah. So these guys, uh, yeah. So then they kidnap Alva's son, and so while all this is going on, uh. Um, Mr. Hawkins is dealing with the fact that the, the community center is basically like running out of money. And so he's worried about that. And then, uh, and Virgil's worried about that. Um, and luckily Virgil finds a way to solve both. Um, yeah. By you... ransoming the ransom. He basically, yeah. He basically just like forces Alva to like, um, donate money to the community center, which is good in exchange for like trying to save his son. Like, I don't know. What do you think about that move of him? Um, I I mean, I guess it's manipulation, but like he's taking advantage of the situation, but like for the right cause. I mean, here, here's my, my problem with this Mm -hmm. is we know he knows Batman. Oh fuck. You raise a very good point. And where the fuck is Bruce who has his pulse on everything, everywhere, all the time, Mm -hmm. who's funding the research center already. Oh yeah. Where's Wayne, where's Wayne enterprise coming in? uh because uh, i guess oh, they did meet in season two right they did yeah oh okay they met season two but it wasn't until season three that bruce that, wayne made his appearance in, in yeah Dakota. The, the, yeah that static figured out who bruce wayne was yes and technically this episode was made in season two so i guess i'll give them that okay but that's you, fair you do have a point that like bruce should probably pay attention bruce to this. would know you <laughs> would know i mean there's something said for the fact that at the end of the day, like anything that's going wrong in the DCAU, some part of it basically just means that Bruce was not paying attention, right? Or just chose not to act because yeah. he that, has that's more like because he is always paying attention. 
yeah he spends half his time just sitting in the bad cave just like flicking through all the various satellites he has pointed around the world tracking everyone's data someone i watched a video yesterday someone built a a pretty poor recreation but as best you could they built wayne manor in uh in animal crossing what yeah Oh my god, that's amazing! Uh, it it was it was pretty well. So they they had two houses. So they built one as Wayne Manor and one as Arkham Asylum. Okay. I think they did they did a pretty good job on Arkham. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Wayne Manor even had, if you went around and behind the house, it had Thomas and Martha's graves <laughs> <laughs> set up behind the house. That is so delightfully dark. Yeah. Was there a, a bat cave built into the Wayne Manor? There was. Yeah. So you, uh, they had a. a bookshelf setup where if you're looking in the house you can't see the door behind it so you mm-hmm. can like run behind the bookshelf and there's part of the bat cave there that has the computers and uh like all the screens set up and then if you go downstairs into the basement it's kind of um there's like a, a car bed which is supposed to be the batmobile <laughs> uh and they have all the bat suits lining the walls now i don't know that much about animal crossing there because there are actual animals but like you you play as a human Correct. right but there are animals. Yes. Is one of the animals a bat? No. Oh. Someone did fan art of like what a bat villager would look like, and they were very cute, and now I want one. Aw, bats are cute. Yeah. They're underappreciated for how cute they can be. I mean, look, some are ugly. Mm, we'll say like 50%. Like vampire bats are pretty gross looking. Yeah. But like fruit bats? Oh, that's just, yeah, just. just... They're, like, they're like cute little wing puppies. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we should look at them. My God, that's amazing. Uh, what were we talking about before that? Oh, yeah, Bruce. Um, yeah, I, I do think Static making a villain pay for his service is inherently wrong. See, I I don't think so. I I like it, actually. Like, to me, that is that makes sense that someone in Static's position, like, being... 14 years old and like being i'd say like even more aware of like how messed up his city is than a lot of other teenagers his age given that he's out there like fighting villains but he also gets to like oftentimes see the like the tragic backstories of those villains and he's seen a company like alva industries and a guy like alva has all this power just like totally screw over people like the fact that he sees all of that and he actually sees a way to like diminish the power of alva while um Someone's like helping a righteous cause is great. If anything, like the one thing he does that like hurts him is that it makes Alva look like a good guy. Yeah. And I think if we saw that conversation, then I'd be more okay with it. Mm-hmm. It was being like, Hey Alva, like I'll help you, but I need you to understand that like, it's not just your son that's been hurt by this gas. Mm, like all these kids on the street that come through this underfunded community center are dealing with the same shit right now. Yeah, And it's not fair of you, who caused this whole problem, to only focus on one guy. No, that's that's actually a really good point. I think that would add a lot of... It's almost like um, there's parallels to the real life going on right now. There's a, it's almost like this show, 20 years old, uh, was aware of problems that were well, happening then and are still happening now. Yeah. <laughs> Things haven't changed. But that, no, you raise a very good point, though. Like, if, if there had been a two-minute-long conversation of um static appealing to alva's humanity and his empathy because what this episode does show is that he actually cares a lot about his son yeah 
he wants to bring him back. Like they didn't have a good relationship, but like he he clearly feels guilty and he wants to try and save his son. And you're right. If if Static had made the effort to point out that he there's he can save more people than just his son, then it would have been like a, a slightly more noble moment and would have maybe th- that lesson would have landed a little bit better for for him and for the audience than Static sort of like I'm not gonna say it's not blackmail, but he, he basically just like it's extortion. It's thank you. Yeah, it's essentially a form. It's a, a noble form of extortion. But um. So here, here's my other idea: mm-hmm. is they could have played this the Lex Luthor route. Okay. Where Static makes the proposal, Alva does it, but in donating to the community center, he sets up cameras, where now he gets to kind of look at it from the side. Oh, okay. And I, I know he doesn't know that Virgil is static, uh, but you know he he's a smart guy. He can kind of make that connection, mm-hmm. or the like. Static has something to do with the community center, and now he's keeping an eye on that. He's kind of seeing the kids that come in and out. He can kind of use that to his advantage if they're powered. Oh, okay. I see. Like, have it be a situation where Static tries to appeal to his good sense. To some degree, Alva agrees, but then he has realizes a- that. I'll tell you your motive that there's yeah. something else for him to gain either like figure out who static is or just like keeping tabs on the various bang babies throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that would have been interesting too. Yeah. Where you kind of like, you have that shot of like the TV screen or of the, the news report going on. Then it kind of zooms out and he's doing the very villainous, like finger tap. Of course. At his <laughs> desk. Do you, have you ever noticed that the, the only hero that does that same pose is basically just Batman. Yep. Hmm. Uh, I hmm. did. I also wanted to bring up another injustice that we see in this in this episode. Not just this, not just this episode, but across all the DCAU yeah. and across the majority of cinema itself, is how bad security guards look in film. I have that exact same note. Do is, you? Okay. <laughs> do, I, have a, I have a note. It just says, "Do we ever see guards awake?" Yeah, like guards are always sleeping on their shift, and I don't yeah. think that that's how it is in real life. I would no, hope I mean, not. I, I feel like the yeah, cinema at large is doing a, a really gross disservice to the security guard industry. Yeah, it, they're they're very poorly treated, and that that is not fair. And we need to bring the situation up right now. I I, I would love I would love. To, if someone has gone through and like made a list of every time we see a sleeping security guard just within the DCAU. Cause I'm trying to think of like, where are positive security guards? And it wasn't, um, wasn't a diehard, a security guard. Wait, Was John McClane. Yeah. <laughs> the Is character, a... John McClane in the movie diehard. Yes. <laughs> Who at never point goes by the name diehard. Yeah, he does. <laughs> no, he's a New York cop. Okay. All right. He's a cop. Okay. Uh, um, well, okay, there there is an example in the DCAU. Oh. In fact, um, which is in the episode Old Wounds, when we learn about why Dick Grayson left being Robin. And there's that moment when Batman is interrogating the um I think it's what the Joker's henchman in front of his own son, in front of the henchman's son, not Batman's son, obviously. Oh, right. And, and, and Robin says, like, you like this is wrong. You need to stop this. And at the end of the episode, we see that that henchman was hired by Bruce Wayne personally to be a security guard at Wayne Industries. And Bruce stops by all the time to check in on him and his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but that's not, that's not a positive security guard 
Because we don't know if he's sleeping. That is Bruce writing his wrong. Okay, fine. <laughs> I tried. I genuinely tried. Because uh, there was a... I think there was like a TikTok I saw this week of a guy playing the perspective of a henchman. Uh-huh. And he's like on the phone with his wife. He's like, yeah, babe, I just got like two more crates to unload. Then I'm heading home. You know, I got a little bonus day. It's going to go great. He's like, oh, wait, what's that sound? And he's like, Batman jumps out and like breaks both his legs and both his <laughs> arms. <laughs> it's so true. God damn it, it's so true. Yeah, no, they really need to be nice with security guards. Yeah. But okay, well, I, we, I, we're going to think of one positive security guard. And my first thought is Night of the Museum. Uh, yeah, that's actually, that's a good poll. Yeah, he's a night guard. Yeah, he's a night guard. He's a nice guy. Um, he saves the museum. What's his face from Breaking Bad? The old guy. Mike? Yes. Is he a security guard? He was a security guard. Okay. Uh, I... In Better Call Saul. Oh, okay. Before he was hired. Um, okay, I haven't watched Better Call Saul. So. Okay, I, I watched the first season. Um, I'm trying to think of other good examples of security guards. I mean, I guess I, if we want to call this a positive example... <laughs> Paul Blart Mallcop? Yes, we do want to call that a positive example. He's an inspiration to all of us. I was going to say uh, Observe and Report, which was the Seth Rogen movie that came out like a riot around the same time. But I think that was him like constantly overstepping his bounds and like being problematic, not being a hero. But I never actually <laughs> saw it, so I don't know. Uh, but th- there we go. We found one. Paul Blart. Yes. I also want to bring up one line, and I've never wanted to punch a cartoon character so much. I, I actually doubt that, but continue. <laughs> uh, when he said, easy as 3.14. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they had to explain that joke. Yes. Oh, you mean pie. Very oh, well, good. Spectral. Well, well, that's the other thing that gets so annoying about these characters is after they adopt their, their villainous personas, they now refer to themselves as Mr. Spectral and Mr. Speed Trap. Yeah. Like, because they're let's let's be real with what they are they are interns they are glorified interns yes who are trying to prove their worth they are power mad delusional interns yes with major narcissistic tendencies <laughs> fucking hell yeah <laughs> now okay so I think Spectral's powers in particular are really really dumb but I think I think the idea behind speed traps is kind of cool yeah, I, I think so, too. And, like, I mean, what, what would you have done to make that character and that power a bit more interesting? Um, combine it with what's-his-face from Batman Beyond. Um, uh, Shriek? Noise. Shriek, yeah. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I mean, sound... I think anything with waves. Yeah. You can kind of work with that. Well, I mean, you could totally do like cartoon sci-fi logic and science be like, oh, well, he manipulates sound waves and sound ultimately is just the vibration of molecules. And he's like found a way to control the speed of molecules using his sound technology. Yeah. And that, that that's, you know, a bit of a harder sci-fi reasoning behind how it works. Yeah. Um, that would have been cool. Actually, that would have been really, really cool um because they were always trying to evolve uh shriek's power set a little bit it's yeah that would have been an interesting way to handle it Mm -hmm. also much better villain than this guy oh my god shriek is one of the best yeah (laughs) yeah shriek ink uh and spellbinder are like the villains of batman beyond 
Yeah. Uh, I have a soft spot for the uh, for Stalker too. Okay. For Craven, future Craven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bat Craven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Th- this. I didn't particularly like this episode. I, it didn't help that I was like falling asleep while I was watching it last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just felt dumb. And I think one of the big problems too is that the everything about season three is a step up from season two. The the animation, the writing, the characters, um, and to when you when you have to do that weird like step back of like this is clearly a season two episode that they like they just kept shelving because it was so dumb and eventually like well we paid for it so we should go ahead and put it out at some point yeah it it makes it feel even more like a totally useless filler episode i was like this is just dumb yeah and i'm trying to think of if we ever actually get the alva jr storyline resolved i don't know i feel like alva maybe pops up in the finale i want to say um but i mean we will discover it shortly i suppose if uh that storyline ever gets picked up but i think even if it does i think we can honestly say that this episode would not be necessary to keep that plot thread going yeah i agree because nothing changes he's like the junior is still trapped in stone at the end of it so uh, it's like nothing yeah and they, they even say like it's gonna take a couple more months to get the computer equipment set back up yeah it's just like, it's so i don't know it's so dumb uh any other uh, thoughts on this one? Uh, I think that's everything. All right, cool. Well, then we'll move on to our, our second episode of the week, which is Toys in the Hood. Toys in the Hood. Easy yes. E is rolling in his grave. <laughs> yes, he probably is. Uh, but yeah, we get another cameo episode this week. Uh, the I was about to say twofer, but it's a threefer, actually. Well, actually, hang on. Let's call it a fourfer because we get not only Superman, but also Clark Kent. And we get not only Toy Man, but also Darcy. Yes. The, um, I guess, what, fully sentient uh, robotic girlfriend that he built for himself that tried to escape from him, which was, yeah. that was actually I, a pretty good episode, if I recall. I completely forgot about that episode. Oh, wait a minute. Wasn't that? Oh, that's a Lana episode. That's right. Because Lana is in that one because Lana does the fashion stuff and Darcy's one of her models. Correct. How could you possibly forget about that being the uh, the number one Lana stand that you are? I am a Lana stand through and through. But that was so long ago now, Chris. That was two years ago. Was it actually two years ago? It feels like it. My perception of time is so skewed. You're actually probably right. It probably was well, probably about a year ago. I'd have a look. But I don't know. I, I, I liked that character of Darcy. And I, and I think I'm trying to remember where we last left her. Let me see if I can look it up again real quick. She so there, there was a, a story arc that they set up that they kind of didn't follow through with is Darcy was leaving Toy Man with a kind of robot set to look like a new Toy Man. She was going to basically build her own boyfriend. Oh, was that what it was? Yes. And we, we kind of got a different version of that because after she's turned quote unquote human, we have this Ken doll looking guy drive through the warehouse to try and save her not save her get as a getaway car oh okay yeah 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 that's right yeah so um yeah it looks like darcy died in a plane crash and then later we see her boarding a train carrying an unknown cargo and um left from metropolis we assume that maybe toy man's inside the the thing so you're right that was kind of the last place we left her Mm -hmm. um but no that was my single favorite moment in this episode which was in there's randomly a ken doll driving a dodge viper yes that crashes through the warehouse and then never reappears again. Yeah, it's just gone. 
It's just, just like I was generally waiting for him to come back around. Uh, I think we can refer to that as a Deus Ex Mattel. Yes. Yeah. Do you think when I'm, that? Sorry, when that, I'm even mad at myself for that one. That was when when that episode aired. Do you think they did a hard commercial cut right as that came through, and they just played one Mattel commercial and then returned to the show? Well, I I, I wanted to know what happened with that character. Like, what does does is he literally just like? a like more or less like a wind-up doll that he basically just like push a button and he just like crashes the scene like does he have any sort of like ai intelligence or self-awareness like is yeah like, just give us give us like a two second shot of the car like crashing into something and it's still like the smiling because here's what i want i want the smiling kin still holding to the steering wheel and then like uh rock'em sock'em robot style the head like pops off on a spring and right? it's still smiling just like waving back and forth because at least that would have been like given that moment a little bit of context and then at least then too it would have explained that okay he's just like uh, just like a mechanical robot like there's nothing interesting about him yeah because otherwise there's totally the implication that this random ken doll is to darcy basically what darcy is to toy man yes because then like darcy because i think that would actually be really smart if they had it just be a dummy because darcy's whole thing is she's kind of a seductress and she wants to be independent yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, and her, so you her... have what looks like a guy coming to save her, mm-hmm. playing on the seductress side, but then it's a fake guy, so it plays on her independent side. Yeah, because she, um, I mean, she actually in this episode kind of occupies almost the the same amount of villainous space, almost actually more so to some degree than than Toy Man, because the the idea here is basically that um, Darcy's been on the run from Toy Man. She ends up in Dakota, um, hiding out as a teacher, and ultimately it's revealed that she was hiding at Dakota because she was trying to find the perfect person to replace. And she decided that Daisy was that person. So she kidnaps Daisy and then she ends up toy man kidnaps Daisy. That's her toy man kids at both of them. And then I guess Darcy convinces toy man to help her put her own consciousness into basically what is a, like a, a, manufactured clone of daisy in a giant easy bake and a giant easy bake clown oven. clown based easy bake that's true yes and so obviously superman's there to stop toy man but he also shows up as clark kent to investigate um what's going on and i would have to double check this but i think this is the last appearance of clark kent in the dcau now i know during Starcrossed. There's a moment when all of the heroes disguise themselves as civilians, including Clark, Superman, presumably as his own persona. But I think this is the last time that he's like actually, quote unquote, playing Clark Kent in the DCAU. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize. I think that. so. Um, watch our database if we're wrong. Which let's be honest. Here, we, here's something we I just are. thought about with know. Clark. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Superman is this huge figure, and everyone in the world recognizes him. Yeah. But how good is your disguise when your disguise is? is also a very popular person in the world. The, yeah, the fact that uh, Virgil knows who Clark Kent is and can identify him by sight. I couldn't tell you the look of any <laughs> writer. Even for film, I probably can tell you the look of most writers. Yeah. I still, I still think back to when we were in that Giacchino trivia, and I looked at him like, that's not Giacchino. That can't be him. And he I'm looks like, like yes, He looks like some... some post-grad guy from new york i mean he 
like Mike Biagino actually kind of looks like Clark Kent. A little bit. Yeah. But not muscular at all. Well, no, but like even Clark tries to hide his, his muscularity. Yeah, but he still has a wide frame. Oh, that's true. Okay. Oh. Uh, but no, yeah. I was I was shocked. So I'm like, no, Giacchino is going to be like this. My thought was he was this old. You, you were know, expecting John Williams. I was expecting John Williams. I expect all composers to be 65 plus. <laughs> Not this like this guy who looks 29 in a North Face jacket drinking an IPA. Well, then you would be absolutely shocked if you came across Ludwig Göransson. Who? Uh, he's the composer of Black Panther. He's oh. also the composer of The Mandalorian. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to my re- recollection, he kind of just looks like a, um, like a, kind of like a silver like hipster a little bit. Great. If I, I mean, but like that seems like I'm damning him with faint praise. If I recall, I think he's actually, I think he's actually kind of a, kind of a handsome dude. Let me see here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not my type necessarily, but you know, he, he's working. Oh, he looks it. like he looks like he would be. The, I don't know what the lead singer of Hauser looks like, but I assume this is it. <laughs> You're. I wonder if that's actually a thing versus Hauser. If I look that up on Google, if there's gonna be a comparison. Uh, no, maybe not. But I there. You're not, you're not. He's he just has a little bit more weight in the cheeks. You're not. You're not far off though. You're really not. Uh, but yeah, it. I I thought it was interesting. This uh, this idea of Darcy putting herself into a, a clone body of a teenager, because mm-hmm. here's what I was trying to figure out, and, and this is of course me nitpicking the science here, which is always a futile effort. But why pick a teenager? Because the thing about a teenager is a teenager is still growing, right? So, look, I, I will at least say that I guess the one advantage of like replacing yourself with a teenager is that you know since teenagers like growing and changing and are you know kind of hormonal like you expect like personality swings and mood swings to happen so all of a sudden if like daisy isn't totally acting like herself you kind of could just play it off as being a teenager but like she's gonna continue to age so my thought is does this clone body age yeah i was thinking that too because it, it is organic when we see superman do his x-ray vision it is a human body yeah, because it's kind of odd. Because when they they get into the um, the, the Easy Bake Oven cloning machine, the 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 blank slate clone almost looks just like like Clayface. It's just kind of this generic, yeah. um, like vaguely human looking blob. But when they come out, there's of course that the, the classic. And I'm so glad they did this moment of like, wait, which one's the real Daisy? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, of course that tell. was going to have to be a story arc. Of course, you don't have shoot to do me. It. I'm the real one. Shoot her. Static, you know me. I would never do anything wrong. I'm the real one. In my mind, as I'm replaying this, it's basically just the 1960 Spider-Man gif of just like, it is, it's, yeah. just, it's just it's just Daisy, like in a first animated pose, like, no, you're the real Daisy. No, you're the real Daisy. But yes, yeah, Superman uh, like scans her and he says that, you know, it, it is identical to her at a DNA level. So that's a like a full human body, right? Yeah. But also that body melts. Well, he 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 inserted nanobites to melt the body. So they murdered her, right? They do. Yes. They flat out murder Daisy, or not? Well, they murder clone Daisy slash Darcy. 
I, right? I'm, yeah, I'm still stuck on the point of, of yeah, you have a good point of, of um, when you reinsert the clone into normal life, you have to deal with the mannerisms and such. And I'm trying yeah. to think of like, what is the best spot to make that shift happen? Oh, like think, what's the best age to like replace a person? I think I have an answer for you. Okay. You have, you go for the sophomore or juniors in college that are on a study abroad trip. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Because when they come back, they're always different. They're always just a little bit more arrogant. Every time, every single one of them. Every single one of those smug fuckers. Those smug assholes when they come back from their from their service <laughs> trips. Or no, their, their school trips. Their study abroad. You and know, I you're... think that is the point where you insert yourself because you're, yeah, you can never perfectly be the person you were beforehand. No, I think you're absolutely right. That is the best time to do it because they're going to come back. You haven't seen, like, their, their, their family, their loved ones haven't seen them for, like, the better part of six months. So they're going to look different. And maybe they, like, they put on some mat, like, maybe put on a little bit of weight because, you know, like, the drinking age is 18. So they're, like, drinking more beer than they would have before. You know, maybe they let their hair go long a little bit. Maybe they're dressing, you know, a little more European. They speak a little bit of French now. Yeah. Or German. Or German. Yep, you're right. That's the best possible time to swap out a person. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess families beware. Uh, pay real close attention to your kids when they come back from study abroad. Yes, they could they, be clones they, made by Toy Man. Exactly. They may have been replaced by a, a fully bioorganic clone of a sentient robot. That is identical except for their apparently electromagnetic pulse. Yes. Oh, yeah. What What is that like? Um, oh, like, uh, oh, uh, the, each person has their own distinct electric aura that static is able to see. And that's how we were able to like identify one from the other. Yeah. I don't know how inaccurate that is, but it sounds very inaccurate. <laughs> In an episode full of real shoddy science, that might be the most egregious one of all of them. I, I will say I loved toy man. I, I, besides the, the, the giant mechanical, uh, monkey oh you mean the the russian nesting doll clowns i love those guys i love that too i actually. thought that was super interesting i love the paddle ball that he uses yes i i think like, toy man's gadgets are so fun and i think that's why i enjoyed this episode is like that whole clown sequence was so enjoyable it, it the thing is it was and I, I actually agree with you i think i think one of the reasons toy man's a good villain particularly in the dcau is he is way more of a threat than he should be yeah and we even like, see that in Justice League. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, I mean, he's responsible for one of the uh, the best arcs in Justice League. And he, like, he's actually, like, a genius-level engineer and scientist. And he uses it for the worst possible reasons because he's a totally fucked-up, broken human. But, like, you know, the his, yeah, his, like, um, his wind-up monkey at the beginning is not the best. But, like, those Russian nesting doll clowns are actually really effective because they, what, they aren't affected by static electricity powers right because they're made out of like plastic or something yeah right yeah that's like kind of that's kind of the the, the catch-all yeah. for this episode exactly they're all made out of plastic um superman can't affect them because if he hits them they just bounce yeah they're elastic yeah which is really genius and the fact that they just keep launching more of them outside of each other like i, I thought that was a really clever idea because i think that would have felt a little bit too silly in a superman episode which tend to be a little more sci-fi focused mm -hmm. but it fits totally perfect in static yeah, I would love to see Toy Man come back in a static episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially because like Static gets so many good one-liners out of this. Oh, he does. He gets the best lighters. But it's like I I, I loved um I love the the clown. I loved the uh, the Kryptonite Army Men. Did you with the clowns? Did you notice they played the Joker's theme song? I did notice that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she just makes sense. Why not? They have it. Well, uh, for a second, I was thinking because like you see uh, Superman look over his shoulder. He's like, oh, he's coming. And honestly, for a second, I thought Joker was going to appear. That wouldn't wouldn't that I'd, be a, a crazy team up, the Joker and Toy oh, Man? That would be so good. I feel like think Toy of how Man, good the amusement park would be. Oh, that amusement park would be so deadly and so over the top. And I feel like Toy Man could actually get under the Joker's skin. Oh yeah, he would make like toy Jokers. Yeah. Oh no, what well, he I, would do is Joker would throw like his chattering, exploding teeth. And then Toyman would throw a better version of it out. Yes, because he's a better engineer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, in, in a weird way, like Toyman would take things less seriously than the Joker would. Like, I could see the Joker getting mad that like he's getting one up by Toyman, but that also Toyman's just like being like really silly mm-hmm. at the same time. I, they have I, a, a very similar shtick. Yeah, I, I can see Joker like getting angry that toy man's always smiling and just like forgetting that it's a mask yes yes okay that's my thing it's like did i gas you oh wait no you're just a creeper yeah wait has that ever did that ever happen to the G- dcau i don't think so or just in general just in comics maybe it happened somewhere in the comics but i don't think they ever teamed up in the cartoons i know toy man appears in just league unlimited um and like the injustice league or whatever but i don't can't remember if he ever interacted with the joker at all I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research on that because I think that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, maybe we'll have to submit that as a uh, a fight on the next um, superhero showdown on the Weekly Planet. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, trying to think if there's any other uh, parts of this episode I really liked. Um, I thought the Superman theme was really weird that they chose. Uh, the one at the beginning or the end? I mean, it's the same one, but it's like, <clears throat> it, it's this weird, it just feels like a facsimile of a Superman theme. It's like... yeah. In the same way that the the Batman theme they use is like kind of the Batman theme, but not this is like kind of the Superman theme, but terrible. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it, it did sound off. Uh, let's see. Um, no, my my major notes were just all about the Ken doll. I just I want to know so much <laughs> more about that Ken doll. Yeah. Oh, I did have one other thought on this episode though, which oh. was um, the this like plays up the the teased romance between Daisy and static. I say the most of any episode we've seen so far. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cause they're like, they're flying away at the end and, um, you know, Daisy's got her arms wrapped around static and he makes a comment how cool it was. He had to hang out with his favorite superhero. She kind of like looks at him knowingly. He's like, Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. I was waiting for like, like the kiss on the cheek moment. Yeah. Or just, I was waiting for this to go somewhere and maybe it does. And if you remember, don't tell me cause we'll let it be a surprise. Maybe back to the Hawkins place. Oh, Nah, because Virgil doesn't get it. He's too clueless. That, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Which actually makes him kind of endearing. Yeah, because it's it's not even like a will they, won't they situation. It's kind of they're both into each other and just both are too oblivious to see it. Which like, if, if that's so teenager though. Which oh, it kind is. of makes it perfect, yeah. And there's even like, there's a little bit of that implied like, oh, Daisy's into static, but Virgil's into Daisy sort of thing. The sort mm-hmm. of like love triangle with yourself. But it's not ever really like, it's it's nowhere near as Played much up. as like the Clark Superman Lois. Yeah, 
And the thing I love the most about the Clark Superman Lois thing is when Bruce shows up and just like, just nope. yeah, <laughs> fucks it all up. You just can't compete with that. Yeah. You can't. It's like, hey, guess what? She loves both parts of me. Yes. Uh, but I mean, this, this was actually, it was pretty fun. I, 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 I forgot how much I love Toy Man as a character. I was really excited to see him come back. Yeah, I, I, I want to like read more of his stories now because like he seems... Like, Joker is just kind of, like, evil gadgets, but these are, like, toys that are now evil. Like, I yeah. think that's such a cool shtick. I, I don't really know much about his comic persona. I feel like it might be a little bit different than the one we see in the cartoon. Because um, I think in the, the comics, usually he's just, like, this sort of, like, goofy-looking, long-haired, schlubby dude. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks like a kind of a mix between Riddler and Mad Hatter. Yeah, a little bit. Actually, he I think the comic version reminds me a lot of the um the villain from Beware the Grey Ghost. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be like I think like the closest approximation I can think of outside of my head. Um, oh, there's been a couple Toy Mans. Yeah, there's been a few iterations of him, but uh I mean obviously soft spot for the one from the DCU cuz hey, Oh yeah, cuz he's like his look is just so good. It is. It's so creepy and it's so effective. Like the fact that he again it speaks the same quality as like the Joker, like he can appear in a Static Shock episode and just be as creepy and effective because like visually he's not scary, but he's actually really, really scary and creepy. Hold on, Chris. What? There's a Bizarro toy man. <gasps> what? Uh, yeah, from uh from 2007. Is he man toy? <laughs> Uh, let's see. If when he's Bizarro not, Three found himself infused with radiation from the blue sun, he developed the ability to replicate himself as well as other as well as create other Bizarro life forms upon the likeness of people from Earth. He used his power to populate the cube-shaped planetoid dubbed Bizarro World with the blue star so, st- with the blue sun star system. Uh, one that he do. Okay, I guess he doesn't have like an arc or anything. He just recreates Toy Man in his Fortress Un Bizarro. Along with Love several it. other known foes. Love it. Oh, bring back more Toy Man. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, on this guy? Uh, no. Let's let's keep this thing rolling. All right. So let's uh, let's dive into some notes from friends here. Um, so just uh, a couple of quick little little shout outs here. Uh, Ashley Clark wrote in to say that uh, off our question last week about what prop will we steal from any movie, um, she says that she would steal Errol Flynn's Robin Hood hat. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I really like that one, actually. I thought that was a, a really a good shout. Um, to, uh, to Her point, though, was um, she doesn't want to meet him. Pretty sure he'd be a dick and wouldn't want to ruin it for me. Just want to <laughs> grab the hat and run. And I'm like, you know what? That's a solid call. No need to talk with Errol Flynn. Uh, and then um, the, uh, the Overoid on Twitter, who we gave a shout out to uh, last week, uh, he said that he would take the, the gun that killed Bruce Lee. Oh... Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Now I don't. He, he didn't specify. I don't know if he, um, the intent was to take the gun before it had a chance to kill him, um, <laughs> or just like to to take it as like a you know a, a piece of history. I think either way, it's an interesting shout. Um, also, uh, just to let you know, Cameron. He he said that he too would beat up a seven year old for a Green Lantern ring. Yeah. Can can I go into the extended version that I texted <laughs> yeah, you the other yes, day? Can, can, yes. Can you please? You texted me the the full background story of. <laughs> so I I was mixing up two Warner Brothers panels. <laughs> The Wolfman was the year prior. What happened at this WB panel was kind of like three three shots to the face. Because it was like the biggest panel for me. 
this 2010s WB panel was Harry Potter and uh, Deathly Hollows Part One, mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim, and Green Lantern. Oh, that's like, a good three lineup. of my favorite franchises. Great lineup. Uh, so f- through no fault of their own, it was very unfortunate timing. Uh, Comic Con that Saturday landed on Daniel Radcliffe's 21st birthday. Oh, epic. Uh, and so no one in the cast showed up. None of the directors showed up. The The only person that was there was Tom Felton. Uh, Draco was there for five minutes. Didn't say anything about the film. They just talked about Daniel Radcliffe for five minutes. Uh, I think we got maybe a teaser. Uh, but then he left because he had a private, a private jet waiting for him to fly to the yes. party. Yes. But I think it was in New York. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, so I was kind of bummed we didn't get to see that cast. And then Scott Pilgrim came out right after, uh, which was a great panel. It was kind of the first time I was like super, super into a big panel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was back when they would still clear out the room uh, and bring, oh, okay. it, and bring yeah. the new group in, which is important because when they would do that, they would usually hide gifts under the chairs <gasps> when they did the full clear out. Uh, and that time that during the clear out, they hid tickets to a scott pilgrim premiere that was happening that night and Mm -hmm. i didn't get a ticket and i was very bummed so i was already over two and then this little (laughs) punk kid comes up (laughs) and asks for that ring that little bastard that little piece of shit how dare he i hope he lost it i bet you i bet you he got a ticket to scott pilgrim too cameron i fucking bet he did (laughs) you know what i also bet i bet you he like happened to run into dan and radcliffe that morning and got a chance to talk to them before he flew off to new york to go to his party oh yeah they had like a full photo shoot together yeah that that little seven-year-old got to live all of your dreams without you yeah and like i understand that everyone has their comic-con like my comic-con was the year later when like everything that went right went right yeah i guess it was two years later. it was 2012 uh but yeah i was so angry so sorry, Cameron. You uh, should I know, be. I know. I know. It'll take years and years of therapy for you to get over that traumatic Comic Con experience. <laughs> yeah, me not getting everything that I wanted. Not getting everything you want. Not getting all of your unreasonable demands. Um. All right. But uh, we also got a, an email from Benjamin David, of course, of the uh, Above and Batman Beyond podcast. Always great to hear from him. Um. Uh. He said, "Uh, awesome new app guys got me through a major quarantine clean of the apartment." Benjamin, always happy to help with some cleaning. I, too, am a big fan of therapeutic cleaning. Um, and he said, uh, first of all, super weird that Cameron talked about Dick Tracy uh, and how he saw it for the first time this week. Same here. Uh, I know we all got HBO Max at the same time, but still thought it was a funny coincidence and totally agreed. I understand why it's divisive. Uh, I like how shamelessly comic and colorful it is production-wise and love the use of miniatures for cityscapes. But, uh, yeah, the story, bad. Still haven't finished it, in fact. <laughs> I mean, on you don't really have to it only gets weirder oh my god uh, I, I, i'm gonna have to watch this at some point you should you should i i think it is worth a watch because well, i think i said it last week it, it kind of puts the seeds in i feel like for the, the speed racers and the scott pilgrims he's like oversaturated yeah uh, what i would call masterpieces but you know that, that's that's sure, just me sure just you <laughs> Uh, but, uh, Benjamin went on to, to say, uh, you guys talked about Batman on Elmo's HBO Max show. Um, and he's on his own HBO Max rabbit hole of Looney Tunes. And he watched 2003's Looney Tunes back in action, a, a movie that I vaguely recall from when it came out. Um, 
and uh, he asked, what do we think about the uh, the inside Hollywood appearance of the live action Batman and Daffy stealing the Batmobile? Uh, a clip that you and I just rewatched, actually, because I forgot that it happened. So did I. It's very cute. <laughs> it, I mean, it's kind of a fun moment. Yeah, it's like, uh, so Brendan Fraser plays a security guard on the Warner lot who's trying to hunt down Daffy. I can't remember why. But um, he basically, like, interrupts the middle of a, a big I stunt. I think he got fired. I think did Davy get fired? I honestly don't remember. Maybe got overlooked for being on a, a, a movie or something. But Brendan Fraser interrupts a a stunt sequence in the middle of the new Batman movie, and it's kind of fun because they have just some random stunt guy dressed up in the uh, the Joel Schumacher suit, which is pretty good. And then Daffy tries to escape in the Burton Batmobile, and Brendan Fraser goes to stop him, but he doesn't realize that Daffy's turned on the Batmobile, and so it races off down the lot smashes through the the support structure for the water tower which then comes crashing down mm-hmm. and uh i love that i love that scene actually going back and rewatching it it's it's so inside baseball and that's I was, probably I was part gonna of the say reason that i loved it i like early 2000s was like the peak of in like behind the scenes movies what i oh would, my God. I would yeah. call the peak is big fat liar yeah i was about to say it was clearly you're referring to big fat liar i i saw it for my second grade birthday I love Big Fat Liar. Which which only continues to exist in some capacity in the zeitgeist because there's that one section of the Universal Studio Tour. I know, they still talk about it. Where they flood the set. I love it. I would love for that to be... like I, I would love a new kind of behind-the-scenes movie like that. I, I don't know if you can get away with it now. I think... Oh, with like too many rights with everything? Uh, well, one... Yeah, getting access to rights is tough in the same way we talked about how you can really never make um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit again. The closest we got was Ready Player One, and even then it was primarily Warner Brothers properties they were able to get in there. Yeah. I'd say, but beyond that, it's just that the the um, the reality of the entertainment industry has been revealed and like the the kind of ugly truth within it is now widely known. And I feel like you would you would have a hard time doing a lighthearted, tongue-in-cheek look inside the entertainment industry because it would just feel super tone deaf given everything with um me too and with pay up hollywood and yeah. now also in turn with black lives matter like it, it, you know the entertainment industry is as guilty if not more so than a lot of others for perpetuating a lot of those problems i feel like now it'd be like real hard to do that that that's very true yeah um but if they were to do it they should totally bring back frankie muniz i was gonna say like i feel like you you can address some of those things if you do another Big Fat Liar. If you just like keep it young, because I mean even Big Fat Liar, you can that is kind of its own version of Pay Up Hollywood, where this big film exec steals a script from a kid. Sure, sure, that's that's the same as subtle systemic abuse of underpaid assistants. Oh, I sorry, I was thinking that was the writer's thing. No, no, there, there's, there's, oh, that's true. There's also the writers, that's ongoing that, writers I was, strike. I thought Pay Up Hollywood is the writers thing. No, no, Pay Up Hollywood's all about the fact that all the assistants uh, aren't paid anything and are like emotionally and physically abused. Okay, yeah, that that one would be a little harder to bring up in a kids movie. Might be a little bit, a little bit challenging. Yeah, you you make a kids version of <laughs> The Devil Wears Prada, oh, combined with Big Fat Liar. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's steer ourselves away from this bit. Yeah. <laughs> Before it comes even more problematic. Uh, okay, but I, I have a, um, a a note from friends specifically for you, Cameron. Oh. Specifically for you. 
Uh, and so I owe Maddie an apology because he actually wrote to us a couple weeks ago and I forgot to bring it up. Um, but he wrote in to talk about Scoob. Oh, okay. Me... And there was a part of me, there was a part of me that was hesitant to bring it up again. Yep. Just going to get my breathing in. Um, because it had to do with uh, Scoob. But he, uh, he said he thought um, the film was mostly fine. Um, but that felt like they were trying to cram stuff in and uh, too much was happening without any room to breathe. You know, very similar to what we were kind of referring to. Um, he said, uh, my biggest fixes, I think, would be to um, kick Will Forte to the curb because um, his voice was way too distracting and shaggy. And that's not a good sign when one of the two main characters of your film keeps taking you out of it. Um, I think it's toy fair. Um, but he actually really wanted to um, really focus on Blue Falcon a lot more. He said it. Um, over the course of the film, we never actually saw the real Blue Falcon, and that's a huge disappointment. Yeah, but, I was expecting him to like be. I wanted him to be the Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, you know, because you know, to, to Maddie's point, to your point, it's like we get a lot of exposition about that character's lore and the father-son relationship, but we never actually see them together. Um, you know, and he would have rather have seen a like son of Blue Falcon film. Um, it would have given the movie more room to breathe and opened up more room for an like an actual Scoob film. Um, he says, hell, maybe even Dick Dastardly's plot could have been started in the uh, um, Son of Blue Falcon film as well. And then in Scoob, we learn that uh, Brian is working one of the his father's last cases and the Mystery Inc. Gang gets involved. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's totally fair. I think that would have been an interesting way to handle this. Cause I, I liked the Blue Falcon stuff in there. It just felt crammed in with everything else. Yeah, and I, I think like even if you made Blue Falcon's dad like an asshole and you have kind of reason to cheer for Brian and you mm -hmm. understand like why he is like why he he's is. always like doing the photo shoots and always on his phone. It's like, Oh, his dad didn't love him. Yeah. His dad wasn't there for him. Like, yeah. He's, and he's, he's just trying to get acceptance somewhere. Yeah. No, I, I think that would have been interesting. Um, and, and Maddie went on to say that uh, in regards to the question of how you would kickstart your own Hanna-Barbera universe, um, uh, that he would do it with uh, the time squad aged up a little bit in dealing with weird temporal displacement shenanigans when they're running through different versions of Hanna Barbera and Cartoon Network shows. That Wait, are we, are we talking like Cartoon Network's 2003 Time Squad? Um, I think so. I don't really know anything about the Time Squad. Then fuck so. yes, absolutely. Time Squad <laughs> is is so underrated. Yeah, no, I mean, and like the the idea he lays out here is basically that like the the characters would put through different forms of themselves, like the different Scooby Doo models, um, Blue Falcon on Dexter and Johnny Bravo, etc. And the Time Squad gang comes to realize that they've been um, they've goofed up the time stream so much that the only way to fix it is to stop themselves from ever becoming Time Squad members. Ooh, yeah, he says they do that. Everything goes back to normal, but now the Hanna Barbera superheroes um are part of the justice friends from dexter's lab and the main focus is put on that team um, oh, i mean i would love for justice friends to, to have their own the like, justice friends story. are amazing yeah um and he says that we'd see um, major so glory oh, good old major glory and kronk Valhalla. <laughs> he the says, incredible kronk he says we'd see them in roles that they uh play before but in their secret identities like so space ghost is still a talk show host birdman is still a lawyer and other non-superhero Hanna-Barbera characters um, get brought into the mix through uh, appearances and that kind of stuff. That honestly sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah, like, Maddie, uh, you, one, sorry, we took you so long to get to your notes, but two, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like, I think that would be, like, an amazing, super clever way to expand the Hanna-Barbera universe and also, like, to play, like, you know, play homage to all the different versions. Like, there have been so many different versions of Scooby-Doo. Um, hell, Cameron... It would give them a chance, if they really wanted to, to bring back the live-action cast. 
I'll, I'll, <laughs> my mind didn't go there first. My mind went with uh, it, it was going to give him a chance to bring back the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh my God, that's right. Of course. The Harlem yeah. Globetrotters are a huge part of the Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo universe. They are. They are the most cameoed. Oh, those are fun episodes. They're my great. God. So good. Great music too. Yes. Uh, but no, uh, Maddie, you're right. I want to see that version of that movie. I think that'd be a super, super fun version. Um, but no, I mean, thanks everyone for for writing in. We always appreciate it. Uh, all right, so let's get on to our, our final segment here, Bat Plugs. Cameron, what have you been plugging this week? Uh, I, I've got two plugs. One, I'm, I'm going to pitch this one to you because mm-hmm. I think I found an anime I can get you to watch. Oh, all right. Challenge I'm, accepted. I'm going to sell it twice because I know okay. the first one isn't going to work for you, but the second one might. Mm-hmm. It's a show called Initial D. Uh, it's, okay. <laughs> I can see why from the title alone you think I might be interested. <laughs> yeah, not that. Okay. Um, I'm now automatically less interested, but continue. <clears throat> Initial D is an anime that's been going on since 1998. Okay. Um, and it is, this is, this is my pitch that will probably not get you into it uh it is anime tokyo drift <clears throat> i'm gonna be honest what part of this do you think is gonna make me interested it, it started in the 90s so it probably has a shitload of episodes i have to catch up on it doesn't it, though. it's only it's only four seasons okay how many episodes uh like i think it's like 20 episodes per season mm, okay okay maybe but here's <laughs> it's it's tokyo drift you know how much i don't like the Fast and the Furious franchise. I've never seen Tokyo Drift. It's You've the never one seen I've not Tokyo seen. Drift. Oh my god! Why Chris. would I? Because it's the best one. That is categorically <laughs> not true. Uh, here's here's where I think I can sell you on it. Ninety uh, percent of the episode is car porn. Yeah, but what kind of car porn? Like showing off. It, they're all based on real cars, and it's all what kind cars. of cars? Uh, the main one is is called a something eighty six. Hold on. That. Are you sure it wasn't just made in 1986? Yes, I know it's. Yeah, I know it's not that because they refer to it as an 86, a Toyota okay. Sprinter Terreno AE86. Don't care. You don't care? I, look, I look. I love cars. I tend to be more of like the um, like a uh, like classic European sport cars. Tends to be like okay. Stuff uh, yeah, these look, are all Japanese cars. Like so, the I do appreciate car culture. Like what make the cars that get me excited are like weird and interesting and unexpected cars. Like, and that's what all these are. Yeah, but like I've never, I've never really been super into the um, like the race mod part of. Okay, like, okay, the car well, that's, a, that's like, what the show is about. Is it's, yeah, like uh, what's it called? The initial D. Let me just look at like some photos and see if anything like strikes me. But like, yeah, I, like I don't really care about like race modding. Like, I I can appreciate the. Um, like the like the engineering that goes into it like you can get some really crazy yeah i don't care about any of these cars you can get some really crazy like powerful cars you know like really total like off the street innocuous cars that you can do some really crazy impressive shit to but like that to me isn't super interesting you know it's like i i like when i see like you know a a, a totally random old car like driving down the street I'm like oh i don't don't expect to see that driving through like beverly hills like you expect lamborghinis ferraris rolls royces and stuff but like someone drives through like an old jeep wagon and you're like huh what's their I story wouldn't expected that cool i'm here for this okay um, that that's fine uh, so i i can appreciate your attempts cameron but uh sorry yeah. it, it is cool because it's, it's like a part of like it's a, it's kind of a sport that i would call it that i had know nothing about and it's kind of mm-hmm. like this 
underground drifting racing world. Okay. Um, it's cool. And the soundtrack is fucking unbelievably good. Oh, yeah? Uh, all the music is... I don't think this is for you. All the music no, prob- is uh, like 1980s Europop or Eurodance. Okay. I mean, that sounds kind of fun. Yeah. And like yeah. when they turn... Because it, it, it ignites with the engine as like the music starts going when they okay. start their race. And you just like... Your whole body gets in this euphoric moment of like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. The one thing that might get me is you know how much I love a really, really fantastically choreographed visual music pairing in a TV yes. show and movie. I'll, I'll that... find a clip and I'll, I'll, I'll see. I'll send you the, a clip. Okay. Send me, send me a clip board. and I'll, I'll check it out and I'll see if it's worth it. So. Uh, so I watched that. And then the other thing I want to plug, which I just plowed through last night. Uh, was the show Upload or Uploaded? Oh, I think yeah, it was Upload on on Amazon. It's the new Prime show, mm-hmm. and I mainly watch it just because it's it's Robbie Amell is finally getting his own show. Oh, Robbie Amell, uh, God. and he's so he's dreamy. great. The show mm. is surprisingly good. I didn't have any kind of expectation for it. Okay, uh, but it's this kind of offbeat comedy in a similar vein to Good Place with like a twist of the movie her Mm -hmm. uh where robbie amell is in a tragic accident and dies and his conscience is uploaded into kind of like an uh an eternal retirement center called lakeview okay Uh, and it's him trying to kind of adjust to this afterlife uh but since it's in a computer he still has contact with the living world so he can still like call up his girlfriend and his, his he has something called an angel, which is kind of tech support mm-hmm. that kind of helps him adjust to this new life. I mean, that sounds like a pretty clever concept. Yeah, it, it's a cool idea. And I, I say it's similar to Good Place, but it has a bit more of like a mystery and romance twist to it. Okay. Um, like maybe it's less focused on the, the philosophy, which ultimately at the end of the day, like that's what Good Place was about. Yeah, there, there was almost no kind of philosophy talk in this. Oh, okay, they're not getting into like the the deep perspectives of Kant on that show, right? Okay, got it. Um, but yeah, it, it's a pretty good show. I like I said, I watched all ten episodes in one sitting last night. Oh damn! <laughs> Are they half hours? Yeah, half hour. Okay, all right, that's 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 doable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, not even half twenty three minutes. Okay, oh, that helps a lot too. Yeah, yeah. So it was what three hours? Yeah, yeah, that's easy. Yeah uh but yeah i i recommend it it's uh season one ends with a good kind of lead-in for a season two okay i i do like, i do like a good lead-in all right i will i will actually check that one out probably not yeah, the initial date, that, but... that one i do like recommend people should check out because i think that is like genuinely a good and i, I don't ever pitch prime shows i never i almost never that's watch true prime actually shows. yeah yeah um, but yeah, what about you? What have you been watching, reading, listening? I watched this uh, this last week a video on YouTube um, that was sent to me by uh, our friend and former guest, the so CJ, and it was called uh, "The Heritage of Slavery from 1968," um, and it's it's a very interesting short, like little mini doc, like the sort of thing you probably would have watched um, like in a, you know a classroom in like middle school, high school sort of thing. It's about an hour long. Um, but it's basically this um, this black reporter goes down to uh, Charlotte to interview uh, descendants of the plantations down there. And it's kind of a dive into um, 
even in the 1960s, the the holdover of like the the plantation wealth and that sort of like um, societal structure. And within three minutes of watching it, I was going, oh, sweet fuck. These people are insane. Um, just the, it, it really kind of dives into like how the, um, the like blatant bigotry of like the civil war and that time eventually just shaped into this sort of like passive, like bigotry that was almost in like the guise of like this sort of total ignorant, like affection. I mean, you know, you, you know, it'll chart the stories of like, you know, this little girl who grew up and, you know, surrounded by like, uh, essentially like, I think at that point it would have been um, like the descendants of former slaves, but it's basically like, he's like, Oh yeah. Like they're like my friends. They live in this like tiny little shack on the the house, like on the property and stuff. And it's just, it's absolutely horrifying. Um, But you're, you're watching and you're, you're realizing like, Oh my God, this was made in 1968. And so much of what they're discussing and so much of like the, the underlying, um, societal and racial tension that existed then like exists now like outs if you were to like have if you were to, like recreate this thing shot for shot today you wouldn't know it was any different um and just it sort of points out how sad it is that um what 50 years 50 years plus on from then it's still the same um issues that are going on but uh no it's it's really good it's it's you know very enlightening and, and you know absolute credit to the reporter who was able to like keep a straight face and maintain his composure while getting these absolutely insane answers for some of these folks who thought they were being polite, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's pretty nuts, but um, that's really good. And then also I watched uh, the first episode of a, an Instagram series um, from uh, Emmanuel Akko on Instagram. And it's a uncomfortable conversations with a black man. And he basically just like sits down in front of a, a camera and walks through kind of like, you know, important questions like, why are people like protesting and rioting and why can't black people use the n-word and not white people um and just like seemingly basic questions but he really gets into like a you know a really emotionally resonant core that answers a lot of these things and you know kind of what we've been you know kind of saying along the lines here um education and awareness is a huge part of all of this and uh highly highly recommend both of them um, you know especially that that instagram series from um, Emmanuel Akko. It's like 10 minutes and there's a few more of them I'm going to go watch after this. Um, but uh, yeah, well, well worth your time to go check out. So. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about the, the Uncomfortable conversation short. Yeah, um, uh, a work colleague of mine actually um, kind of sent it out to uh, to the company um, and then I watched it and a lot of other people watched it and yeah, it's 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 a really great, great series. So go check that out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's it for me. So... All right. Uh, shall we land this bird? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Um, and you know, uh, always love to hear people's answers to the, the kind of the fun questions, like what prop would you steal from a movie and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I was very sincere earlier when a you know a genuine call out to it if there's anyone out there who is really feeling frustrated and alone and just needs someone to talk to. Um, by all means, please reach out to. Um, our podcast channel or myself at Lordifer on Instagram to talk. So Nice. Uh, you can find me at Cameron.Dexter. Uh, also open to talk, and you can also find me at CamDexter underscore adventures. Uh, but Chris would probably be a better person to talk to. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm a better person. I think, uh, weirdly enough, I think I have more free time now on my hands than you do, but it's also part of it too. That's a little bit, yeah. 
I'm yeah. here for any Scoob concerns, Hanna-Barbera <laughs> theorizing. In, in any thoughts you have on, uh, on Scooby-Doo, on Hanna-Barbera, on Kids Next Door? Uh, I did I did also watch Josie and the Pussycats for the first time this, this week. With the cartoon or the movie? The live action, the movie. Okay, all right. Well, we'll maybe have to do like a deep dive plug on that next time. <laughs> uh, but no, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, always appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with some more Static Shock closing in on the end of season three here very, very soon. Um, yeah, oh, next week is, is a great, oh God, next week's gonna hurt. What, what are the episodes next week? We have The Parent Trap and Flashback. Oh, okay. So Flashback is the one where he goes back to see his mom. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, everyone, prepare for some more heavy. <laughs> a couple more heavy topics. <laughs> uh, a couple more heavy topics. Uh, but no, I, I, that is, from what I recall, one of the best episodes of the series. Very excited to talk, uh, talk about is. that one. So, All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye. Superhero Static Shock. Whoop, whoop. Superhero Static Shock.